0: May the words of my mouth the meditation of all of our hearts, you always accept them when you are sight, O oh Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. For several weeks, we've been um, in St. Paul's letter to the Galatians. Um, the Galatian uh, churches were a small group of uh, churches in what is now north-central Turkey. And they are a group of people that Paul led to, um, to Christ. And uh, they began these, uh, these small Christian communities um, that began to flourish and grow and develop. Paul stayed with them for some time and then um, he sort of moved on and planted other churches and would come back around and check on them periodically. But the little churches that he planted in north-central Turkey were not like what we would think of today as Turkish people. They were culturally Greek people. They were, um, they were like the Greek people of the first century because, as I have mentioned before, the Greek culture sort of was spread around the world by Alexander the Great as his way of, of sort of controlling and, and uh, empowering a large kingdom. And so the people who lived in this area uh, called Galatia, north-central Turkey, were very much Greek. They worshipped the Greek gods, the pagans, before they had come to Christianity. They participated in the Greek festivals. They they were entertained by Greek plays. They read Plato and Aristotle if they could read. Um, They they read Homer if they could read. They they were thoroughly influenced by Greek thought. I'm sure there was a little nuance to the region, as there always is. You know, uh, a culture can be spread around, but there's always, you know, there's always a little local flavor. So if you go to Chicago or Toronto or Hazard, Kentucky, you know, you would get three different versions of North American culture. I mean, they're, they're the same, and yet they're always different, right? Um, and so I can imagine that the Galatian Greeks, uh, they, the Turkish Greeks of Galatia, probably... You know, they, maybe they spoke with a little nasally accent, or, um, or maybe they couldn't produce their, or pronounce their rose, you know, that's the, the Greek R. Uh, you know, maybe they, they had a difficult time saying ha-fa, you know, or whatever. Maybe, uh, maybe there was a little twang, you know, maybe they had a little twang to their sort of an Appalachian sound. Oh, I love me an Appalachian accent. I just—I mean, you get me in Kentucky in ten minutes. I am completely immersed in it, and you would never be able to understand me. I sound like Cletus or Billy Bob or whoever. You know, it's just completely, thoroughly there. And so I think, I think that they were very much like this. You know, that they were Greek in thought and Greek in culture. You know, that they, they watched the same plays. They, they knew the same sort of things, but they were thoroughly Hellenized. And so you can imagine what it would be like to become a Christian in this culture. A culture that was polytheistic, where everyone worshipped many gods. A culture where people thought in terms of, of Greek thought, Stoicism and Epicureanism. They watched Greek plays, they were entertained by this. And it was everywhere you went. You know, in our world we sort of have this kind of a notion about separation of church and state or something like that where you know, you can't bring religion into a public sphere. Uh, but that didn't exist in the ancient world. Everyone was thoroughly polytheistic except for this little group of Christians. They're the only ones, well, them and a group called the Jews, the only people in the whole wide world who wouldn't buy into this. And so for, for Paul to lead these people to Christ... Well, it was a thoroughly radical thing in their culture. Just completely, and in some ways, ostracized them. Well, I told you the story. Paul would set up these little churches, and then he'd move on and go plant churches elsewhere. And the Galatian situation is that whilst he was gone, some Jewish Christians, they were Jewish Christians from Jerusalem, made their way up to Turkey and said, Hey, look, Paul didn't tell you the whole story. There's a lot more going on here. And they would tell them about circumcision and kosher table and keeping the calendar. And this just thoroughly infuriated Paul. The whole point of the Galatian letter is to say, look, you do not come into the Christian church because of these things. This is not your marks of identity. Instead, you come in through the cross of Jesus Christ. You come in because of the faithfulness of what Christ has done for you. This is how one becomes a Christian. And this is the mark of identification. And after that, you are freed. You are freed from all the oppressiveness of the law. But as you get through about four chapters in this, Paul anticipates the next thing to happen. He anticipates that somebody might say, well, if I'm free from the law, then I'm free from all of it. Now I don't have to do anything. I can do whatever I want. No more Ten Commandments for me. Thank you very much. We have other ways to live. And think how convenient in a pagan culture it would be to go on living like the pagans. Throw off all that Christian morality nonsense. We don't really need that. That's problematic in this world. Let's not do that stuff anymore. We'll just live like the pagans and say, isn't it great that we're still Christians? And Paul said, in the words of Lee Corso, Not so fast, my friend. Back up just a moment. That's not at all what I'm talking about. And he pushes back. Look at your lesson. Will you take your bulletin and look at at the epistle lesson? Um, I'm not sure what page it's on, but you'll find it. (laughs) What is it? It's on page 7. Of course it is. It's on page 7 in the bulletin. And if you'll take that and look at it with me. The very first verse, Paul launches off into this. For freedom, Christ has set us free. That sounds good, doesn't it? You've been set free, he says to the Galatian Christians. But look at the next verse. I skipped some and and went right to verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. And he means brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. The word Paul uses, not this, but this, the word B-U-T in English, is what's called an emphatic adversative. Um, I would say... That's a big but, but I know that somebody would giggle, and I know that that's going to happen, right? It is an emphatic adversative. Not this, but this. If I said to you, you know, I really don't care for cats, but I do like dogs. That's sort of a minor uh, comparison, isn't it? A contrast. That's not what Paul is saying. He's saying like a father might say to the son, do not go outside and play baseball. But go up to your room and finish your homework, right? Not this, but this. Paul was saying, don't use freedom as an opportunity, look at this, for the flesh. If you had a pencil, I'd tell you to underline that word flesh. Not flesh, but through love, serve one another. Not flesh, but service. Uh, the word flesh Paul uses is sarks in Greek. And here's what it means. It means sort of the... Um, what can mean different things. But in this case, he means this. That selfish kind of want to be taken care of, um, want everything to be convenient for yourself sort of inclination. I know none of you have that. But you know the inclination that some people have. Other people. Not people here. But those who, who want, you know... Everything to go their way. Jim got my tongue in cheek. I don't know if anybody else. Yeah, everything to kind of be convenient to me. A little child, you know, she has a toy. You see this little child with a toy. And, And she has this toy and she doesn't want to share it. And you say to her, you know, give that toy to your friend. And she takes that little toy, right? And she pulls it real close and you know what she says, right? What does she say? No, and then what does she say? It's mine. It's mine. Paul says, "This is the flesh. (laughs) This is the this is the want to be. I want everything my way. Don't use freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But notice the adversative. But serve one another through love. Serve one another." Paul is setting up a contrast. The contrast is between abusing freedom and rightly using it, right? And then he nuances it. He he, he massages it just a little bit. Look at verse 19. Slide down just a little bit. You see this? Now the works of the flesh. Again, if you had a pencil, I would make you like circle that word works. Because then you'd look down at verse 22, just a couple verses later. The works of the flesh in verse 19 and verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit. The difference between the works of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit. Now, this is the real contrast that he's going for. Between selfish, wanton behaviors, where people, from their natural base inclination, say, Give me more. I want everything. You bring it here. And when it doesn't happen, what do we do? We're just like that little child. We stomp our feet. Pound our hand? No, it's mine. How dare you say no to me? How dare you suggest that I give up anything that's mine? And so Paul goes through and he says, well, you know, we sort of mature maybe in the types of things that we want. But they're the same sorts of things. Look what he says, verse 19. The works of the flesh are evident. They are obvious, he is saying. Sexual immorality. The word here is porneia. Impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, sorcery, pharmakia, really interesting there. Uh, Strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalry, dissensions, division, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. This pagan lifestyle that is so rampant in the culture of north central Turkey, and and that people just kind of naturally thought, well, this is the way you live, Paul is saying, when you give in to that sort of stuff, when you behave that way, you are showing the works of the flesh, and that is the abuse of freedom. Look at verse twenty-one. I warned you, he says, as I um, or I warn you rather, as I warned you before, that those who do such things, do you see what it says? Will not inherit the kingdom of God. Look, if you think that freedom is an opportunity to go out and live like the devil, guess what? You're not in the kingdom. Paul is telling these Galatian Christians. But rather, and contrary-wise, it's also easy to spot those who really do belong to the kingdom, right? Verse 22, But the fruit of the Spirit... The fruit of the Spirit... You know, if I took you out in, um, in January in Northeast Ohio, and we went out and we were like traipsing along through the, the woods or something, and I showed you this tree, and I saw, you know, this bear tree, no leaves, nothing and I said to you, hey, that's a pear tree. You know, you might look at me, unless you're a horticultural uh, uh, expert or whatever, and say, oh, Joe, that's very nice, right? Like, maybe it is, maybe it's not. I don't know. It could be a pear tree. But if I take you out in August... And I say to you, that's a pear tree? You will straight away know whether I'm telling you the truth or not, won't you? And you know how, right? This isn't rocket scientist. You will look at it and say, there are pears on it. Yes, you're right. Or there are no pears on it. And you'll say to me, a pear tree without pears? I think you're a little mad, Joe. (laughs) No, this is not a pear tree. Paul says, you know what? It's evident. It is obvious to see when a person is abusing freedom and it's equally obvious to see when they're not what happens to a person who who walks by the with the spirit well they have a life filled with love joy peace kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness self-control look this person is filled with the fruit of the spirit of course they're doing what of course they're living in a way that is that honors God's freedom. I want to say this, that I think that every single person here has both the capacity for the flesh and the capacity to walk with the Spirit. All of us do. All of us have known what it's like to be selfish and wanton and and give me more and I'm holding on to this and I'm going to use and abuse both things and people. We also know what it's like when God does something in us. And he changes us and transforms us and makes us different. St. Augustine used to say this, Love God and then do whatever you want. Love God and then do whatever you want. You know why, of course, right? Because when you really do love God, it will produce in your life those fruits that are so evident that you'll do exactly what you should when I was a little boy, I, I, um, I remember going to my grandmother's house. Perhaps you remember going to your grandmother's house. If you remember going to my grandmother's house, we should talk. But when I was a little boy, I, um, I remember going to my grandmother's house, and uh, my grandmother's house was always the same. It was such a comforting thing, it was always the same. My grandmother had two lazy boy chairs one for her and one for Grandpa. Grandpa's was always closer to the TV. Okay, and, and, and she had a Davenport, never a couch a Davenport. I remember she used to say to my brother and I, stop romping on the Davenport. And we would look at her and say, we're not grandma, we're wrestling on the couch. And uh, she had a a little cast iron um, potbelly stove that she had sandblasted and painted black, and it was a little decorative item. And on it, uh, this uh, lamp of a woman who's holding up a torch, and, and the torch was a light, and And I remember going around, grandmother's house was always the same, always these same things. And on the dining room table, there was always a a bowl of waxed fruit. You've seen this, right? You were at my grandmother's, weren't you? (laughs) Always a bowl of waxed fruit. And I remember as a child, I would always look at that fruit, you know, and just think, it looks like fruit, you know. It is the same color, whatever. And I remember... I mean, I remember the day where I pulled the pear off and thought, it doesn't feel like, I mean, it's, it's lighter, you know, whatever. And I took a huge bite right out of that thing. It wasn't fruit, you know? <laughs> and you know how I knew it wasn't fruit? Because it didn't taste like it. It was fake. It wasn't real fruit. And even a child Can tell the difference. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.